Hi, I'm Tara. And I'm Steph. And we're from Kobo Writing Life, Kobo's free, fast and easy self-publishing platform. KWL was built by authors for authors. And our team of dedicated book lovers is always working hard to help authors reach new readers around the world. With Kobo Writing Life, authors can now publish audiobooks and ebooks right in their KWL account. We don't ask for exclusivity, and you'll always control your pricing in up to 16 currencies. You can also create a pre-order for your audio and ebooks with no date limitations. We have a lot of great promotional opportunities for Kobo Writing Life authors available in the Promotions tab right in their KWL dashboard. If you're an author and you don't have access to the Promotions or Audiobooks tab, email us at writinglife@kobo.com and we'll get you sorted. We're all about providing excellent support. Create your free account today at kobo.com slash writinglife. If you want to learn more about Kobo Writing Life, check out our blog, podcast, and find us on social. Happy writing! Whether you are traditionally published or indie, writing a good book is only the first step in becoming a successful author. The days of just turning a manuscript into your editor and walking away are gone. If you want to succeed in today's publishing world, you need to understand every aspect of the business. Editing, formatting, marketing, contracts. It all starts with a good book. Then the real work begins. Join international best-selling author J.D. Barker and indie powerhouse Jay Thorne as they gain unique insight and valuable advice from the most prolific and accomplished authors in the business. The publishing world is changing, adapting. Do you have what it takes to become a full-time writer? If you're willing to do the work, we'll give you the tools. Get your notepad out, school's in session. This is Writer's In. So Zach, what do you got to say, man? I have nothing. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Dude, I'm having the best week of my life because my daughter's back in school. That's what's <laughs> up. <laughs> I'm actually getting work done for once. <laughs> Dude, no, in all seriousness, it is so nice to be back on a regular schedule. Um, you know, um, it's just, oh my gosh, it's so nice. Like her going to school in the morning and then Catherine goes to work and it's just, I feel it's so nice to be back on this schedule. Uh, I don't. I, don't, I know JD probably can't really relate yet, but uh, I, I know Jay can. So, how, how old's your daughter? She just turned seven, so she just went oh. into first grade. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I just had a very long conversation with with mine, you know, who's three. I, I bought like a little sign I can hang outside my door that says recording. Um, you know, so like that the other people in the house actually know what I'm up to in here. And I was like trying to explain it to her. And I was like, when you see this on the door, you have to use your inside voice. You have to be very <laughs> quiet. And she's like, like this. And she starts screaming. Like she understands exactly what I mean. But like, you know, she just went to the, the opposite. So if you hear her crying or screaming or yelling outside my door, it's because I've got the sign there and she's just trying to, to see what she can get away with. Yeah. See, but you're in the fortunate position where your wife is home. So like my wife works during the day on most days. Um, So it's been like all summer. It's just, if I sit here and try to write for like 10 minutes, it's just dad, dad, daddy, daddy, you know, like, and I don't want to just like have her sit there and play Minecraft or watch TV all day while I'm working. So it's just like, oh my God, it's so nice to be, to be back on this, on this, on this schedule. (laughs) Well, my daughter is at the point now where she like, if she catches me in the kitchen, she, she's like, let me put you back in your chair, dada. Need to make the words. And like, she'll steer me right back to my office and, and drop me in my chair. Uh, I don't know how long that's going to last, but, but, but that's awesome. I mean, I try probably to spend it that long. Yeah, probably not. We, we always spend a few minutes together in the morning before I actually start and kind of play a little bit. And then she starts her, her busy the day. That's what she calls it. I got a very busy the day. Um, <laughs> and she gets, she gets her breakfast and goes to the gym with her mama and, and stuff like that. So we, we've got it worked out. It's all good. 
I don't miss those days. <laughs> <laughs> of course you don't. I know I'm supposed to say, oh, that that's so sweet. I really miss that. I, I don't miss that at all. I, I like having uh, older children. You guys will, too. You will. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I think so. Like, and, and she's getting better, you know. She's getting to the point where, you know, she's getting better about, like, giving me space and stuff. But it's uh, – yeah, it's it's definitely it's definitely nice to just have the house like the house is empty right now and I'm just I could not be happier. Cool. So. All right, so publishing stuff. I guess we should probably talk about that a little bit. Are you are you guys following this A plus content thing on Amazon? Have either of you looked at this or, or tried? I know it of it. I heard Joanna talking about it this week again. Okay. Yeah, a little I, bit. I've been checking it out. Um, I noticed on the noise, a bunch of things popped up and it says from the publisher. And apparently that's you know, a very similar section. Um, so they've got graphics with some of the blurbs and things like that, that we've gotten for the noise. Um, I'm kind of in the same boat that Joanna was. I, I think this is definitely a useful tool. I, I'm not the guy to put it together because I suck at visual things. So just putting it out there, if there's anybody listening right now that is considering starting a business doing this for authors, I, th- I th- honestly think it would probably be pretty lucrative. Um, and I have no problem being your first guinea pig slash client. Um, cause I, I do think it's something that, that I could use. I've got plenty of stuff to put up there, but, um, you know, I just, I don't have the time. I think volume is a big consideration here because if I remember what I heard properly, I thought that Joanna said Amazon claims it can increase sales by 5%. And I'm like, Meh. you know, like, I guess, you know, 5% of a, of a lot of books might be worth it, but like. Five percent for your typical indie author. Like I don't, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's worth the time to invest in that yet. It, it definitely grabs your eye. Like if you get a chance, to go out and take a look at the noise. I mean, you just you scroll down, and normally where text would be with you know reviews and things like that, they've got a couple blocks of just graphics with blurbs, um, and it, it jumps out at you. You know, like most most you know, like if I go back to some of my other books, you know, like look, look at Fourth Monkey. You know, those blurbs I've got some great ones, but they're all just text, and you just kind of gloss over that. Um, so I think the key is to you know just like creating a web page, you just don't want to go overboard with it. You want to you know make sure it's very clear and concise, just enough to get whatever message you want across there, um, but not you know to the point where it's going to just drown whoever's looking at it and they forget why they went to the page in the first place. Yeah. I mean, I'm sitting here looking at your, at the noise right now. Um, and yeah, this is, this is awesome. I mean, and I can tell you like when I'm looking at regular products on Amazon and I scroll down and I see this type of stuff, you know, no matter what it is I'm looking at, like I definitely pay attention. And I mean, this definitely caught my eye. I mean, you, you guys have some, uh, some really good graphics here, so I'm still not going to hit the buy button. But um, but it looks. <laughs> Gee, thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, they, they it's an awesome did, book. So they didn't throw the one from from Stephen King up there, and I was emailing the editor yesterday. And and the thing is, like, if you look up the full blurb from King, it gives away some spoilers. Like in that, you know, he put out mm. two or three sentences about the book. Um, Patterson just grabbed like his one of his very first words. I think it starts off with something like a scary tale about. Um, so so Jim was like, hey, we'll just use the word scary. That's all we need. Um, which honestly works. You know, like with blurbs, it's it's very similar to what um oh god I forget who uh, uh who did we have on riley sager i think that said he drills it down to like a couple of words like his, his book but like if you've got a blurb that you can get down to like one two three words that's more effective than having a full sentence or a paragraph or something about it um so i'm curious if they're going to throw that one up um i've been watching stats on that book like crazy because you know it's coming out um i i, I we're recording a couple podcasts today so i'm not sure when this one's going to air but the book itself comes out on august 16th so it's it's coming up um and we're like neck and neck with a couple of them there's a daniel Steele novel novel that's coming out the 
the same day. Um, there's another, it's a, a, a Pentagrass novel from Lincoln and Child. Um, that's honestly the only one that's really got me worried, um, you know, because they, they've got a huge following. It's book number 20 in a series. Um, and I'm watching the, the stats, you know, on Barnes & Noble and Amazon and all these different places. And we, we keep going back and forth, you know, like I, I loaded up one hour and I'm ahead of them by like 100. I loaded up the next hour and they're 200 ahead of me and back and forth and back and forth. Um, so I decided last night to actually throw some money into some Facebook ads. Um, the publisher doesn't even know I'm doing this. So this is the first time I'm even talking about it, but I, I like to you know kind of do this without, um, you know, because if they know that I'm doing it, they might dial back what they're doing. So I've got some <laughs> Facebook ads running. I'm spending um, between 500 and a thousand a day for the next week. Um, just drawing eyeballs to that book because um, I, I really need that number one, <laughs> you know, and like <laughs> and, and, and I, I could see myself right now pulling up the New York Times list and it's going to, you know, Lincoln and Child number one, Patterson and Barker number two again. <laughs> like, so I, I want to do whatever I have to, to to try and push it over that finish line. Um, I've never spent that kind of money on one individual title over a short period of time like this. So I'm really curious to see if that's going to move the needle or not. Well, Fingers crossed I, for you. Yeah. yeah, and I will I will actually uh buy it. So you get get a little bit of help. So <laughs> the audiobook is awesome. They've got a full cast again on, on this one. At least oh, the UK nice. I think the UK version's got a full cast and there's a, a regular narrator on the, the US. Um that there's you know a few of those floating around too, but it's it's a really cool book to listen to. Nice. Right on. Alrighty. All right, I guess we're ready to get into our Q and A episode. So uh I'm gonna turn it over to Zach and yeah, let's hear what questions we've got from our patrons, Zach. Well, I'm going to start here with a couple of really important ones first. Um, we got one from uh, our buddy Jimmy, and uh, Jimmy asks, <laughs> will malevolent construction workers who infiltrate homes and never leave <laughs> be incorporated into JD's next horror novel? <laughs> I, I've honestly had that idea. Um, only because, you know, this is a, a really big house and like, I, I hear noises sometimes, you know, like we've had so many people working in the house. Like it, it seems weird when it, there is no construction noise going on. Um, but yesterday I was writing and my wife was at the gym with my daughter. I, I thought I was home alone and, and I heard noise coming from like the other end of the house that sounded a lot like somebody hammering something. So that was a little creepy. Um, I got up and walked over and turned out with my brother-in-law, um, cause he's been staying with us, but like <laughs> that, that idea actually popped into my head. Um, but 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 no, I probably won't write that book. In all seriousness, would you ever consider like a very traditional haunted house horror novel? No, um, I, I'm Why actually not? writing a haunted house story right now, and I don't want to go into the detail too much. Um, I, I basically took the trope and kind of flipped it completely on its head. I found an angle related to haunted houses that has never been done before. Um, and that, and that's why I'm doing it. But, um, you know, along the way I've read, you know, probably 50 books over the last, you know, two years or so about haunted houses. And they always start off with the same thing. You know, it's always this family that moves in here, you know, for whatever reason, they move from California to New York and they, they pop into this house and nobody told them that somebody died there. And then they eventually learn it and weird stuff starts to happen. There's always a pet. They've always got a cat or a dog. Um, but it's just it's so formulaic um so i actually made notes of all those tropes those those that formula um and used that basically against my reader you know because that formula is so well known when you go through you expect those things to happen um so i don't mind dangling them out there and, and letting the reader think that something is going to happen but then I, I jerk their chain in a totally op, you know different direction it's funny. I actually, and Jay, I don't even know if you'll remember this, like, cause I brought, I've had this idea sitting in my head forever and I brought it up to you 
whenever we first started like talking about riding together, like back in 2016 or 2015 or something, the hotel. Yeah. So when, yeah, when I was like, uh, nine, when we moved, when we moved to Oklahoma, I lived in a hotel. My dad was running for like six months and we lived on the top floor in like this two story suite, but the rest of the floor was completely abandoned. They had like started construction and like all these rooms and never finished it. And me and my sister would just go play and all like we spent all summer just playing in all these like that half perfectly beaten safe. up hotel rooms. It was <laughs> awesome. Like it was so much fun. And uh, and I've always like wanted to do something with that setting and like whether it's haunted or something. So, uh, yeah. And so maybe hearing all the hammers and stuff going on in the background while I'm on this podcast will uh, will help inspire me to do that. So. Not to burst your bubble, but Stephen King had a novel called The Shining that's you know, kind of similar in, in concept. Um, yeah, so that, that's the thing. Like, a lot of this stuff has, has already been done before. And I remember reading when The Shining was actually coming out, his publisher didn't want to put it out. Like, they wanted to, to bench it for a while and put out a different book because uh, there was a novel coming out called Burnt Offerings, um, which they thought was going to be the big haunted story at, at that particular time. And, you know, they felt that, you know, once that comes out, you're going to have to wait for that trail to die off before you could put out another one. Um, if you ask anybody today, you know, I don't think anybody remembers Burnt Offerings, even though there was a film, but everybody knows The Shining. Um, and you know, in the shining itself, if you think about it, like King wanted to do a haunted house story. I mean, that's, that's pretty obvious because he, he hit all the different tropes. You know, he's got vampires in Salem's lot. Carrie is, you know, psychokinesis. Like he's hitting tropes, you know, with all those early books, the shining was clearly a, a haunted house book that he wanted to write. Um, but you know, he probably looked at the same thing and said, you know, haunted house books all look like this. I need to do something a little bit different. Um, then he just happened to stay at the Stanley out in Estes park in Colorado. And, and that was enough because it was a situation very similar to what you're talking about. His wife and him showed up. You know, there was a big storm coming. They were the only guests in the hotel, um, you know, walking those halls. I mean, you probably felt that, you know, if you were living there with your dad, you walk a hall of a hotel when there's nobody else there. That's an eerie, creepy feeling, um, you know, so that's, you know, that's where all these things come from. You know, it's just a bunch of what ifs all, all piled on top of each other. Well, thanks for crapping on my idea. I appreciate it. Hey, Just it's, calling it's it a shining ripoff on the air. You know, not all <laughs> of us can like write an official sequel to Dracula. Okay. So... <laughs> It's been, what, almost 50 years since The Shining came out? Maybe people forgot. You know, maybe you're good. Maybe so. So. Call it The Shining. (laughs) The Shining. (laughs) The the Sparkle. Uh, Okay. So so, uh, I guess I'll get this other one, this other JD, really important JD question out of the way. Um, From Stephanie Bond, have you ever considered approaching HGTV about your own show? (laughs) My, My wife and I actually did do that. Um, and we even got to the point where we did. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We try everything, man. We try it all. Um, this was way back, you know, and everybody, everybody's probably heard this story to death, you know, about me selling everything in Florida, us buying the duplex and all that. Um, when we did that, my wife actually came up with the idea of contacting HTTV and, and she's like, well, why don't we loop them in on this? Because we've got somebody, you know, he's moving out of the corporate world. He's given up all this stuff, you know, to try and make a a living as a writer and we're going to renovate a house. Um, you know, they, they might like that. So it actually got to the point where we, had calls with producers um we had you know some video calls back in the day when they actually didn't do a whole lot of video calls um just to try and feel out whether or not we would be good at this sort of thing um but it it never actually panned out and and dana and i just kind of had to talk about it and we're you know we we basically decided we just didn't want cameras following us around um because it just didn't seem like it like it was a really cool idea until it started to become real and then we're like you know like the idea of cameras being everywhere 24 7 like we had enough pressure on us at the time and i just wanted to write a book um so so we just kind of nixed that um but that again you know just like 
like anything else in, in this creative world, I mean, it's, it's easy enough to get that kind of thing going. If you've got an idea for something like that, you know, take a look at a show, take a look at a book or whatever, figure out who's behind it and reach out to some of those people because that's, that's all she did. And, you know, before we knew it, we were doing screen tests. So, man, you actually you gave go. a real answer. Sorry. That's awesome. Well, That's it it okay. won't happen again, I promise. All right. So now that now that the Better Homes and Gardens podcast is over, um, let's ask let's ask this question from a Christian, which is how do you protect your work legally? And I know we have to give the whole we're not lawyers, we can't give legal advice. Um, but yeah, Jay, let's go to you on this one. Samurai sword. I'm I'm pretty <laughs> sure you can buy a samurai sword legally, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Dude, I live in Tennessee. I can pretty much buy whatever weapon I want legally. <laughs> so it's all good. Oh, that's probably not what he meant, huh? I don't think so. <laughs> you have um, a re- anyone have a real answer? Kind of. Um, here, here's the thing. I mean, you, you really, to a certain extent, you can't. Um, I, I, I'm going back and forth with a very well-known author right now um, that's not James Patterson um, on, on some ideas. Um, and, you know, we're literally throwing, you know, random stuff at the wall. And these, these are ideas that I've got in my, you know, I want to write these books file um, that I'm sharing with this person. Um, you know, that person could easily turn around and, and write one of those books if they wanted to. Um, but, I, you know, I, I flip that around and think about it from the other direction. Like people pitch me ideas all the time and I've never even considered running with one of them because I've got too many of my own. Um, so I don't, I don't see that happening. Um, so from that standpoint, I think you're, you're all good. I think the biggest problem we've got in today's world is piracy of the actual books themselves. Um, and I've heard a lot about this recently where somebody, you know, in a foreign country will scan in an ebook and they recreate it and they throw it back out on Amazon or the other, the other vendors, um, either under a different title, different author name or whatever it might be. Um, I know Amazon's got systems in place to protect against that, but it, it's happening. So, you know, somehow their, their systems are allowing it to, to sneak through. Through, and I'm sure that'll get tightened up. Um, there's not a whole lot you can do other than to, you know, red flag it and try and get them to stop. Yeah, I mean, and and I I, I, th- I was it's funny I was going to ask you about piracy and um, I, like that sort of piracy I think is, is is super important to try to keep on top of. Like if someone's going out and reselling your book, um, I'm not a fan of people who go after like pirate websites of people illegally like downloading your book because. Those people are never going to buy your book anyway who are taking the time to go download it. But, um, but, but yeah, Jay, what were you going to say? Yeah, it's, it's funny. You guys hit on, on two angles to this question, which is kind of broad, and, and I have a, a third angle on it that I wanted to mention, which is, again, we're not lawyers, but uh, please stop telling each other to just mail your manuscript in a sealed envelope. Like, that, that's, that's <laughs> worthless, okay? Poor, poor man's copyright? Yeah, that, it, it, yeah. that doesn't do anything, right? You, your work is copyrighted as soon as you create it. So it, so you don't have to mail anything. It's copyrighted. There's a difference, though, between having something that's copyrighted and something that's a registered copyright. Yeah. Uh, so especially in the, in the indie world, and, and this is what I tell people all the time when I get asked this question, I don't care about pirates uh, necessarily. What I do is I register the manuscript with the, with the U.S. Copyright Office. I think it's $55 a book. And then I save that PDF on my computer because if, uh, if someone else, like in JD's um, example, uploads my book and tries to claim it's theirs and Amazon's bot scans two different ASIN numbers with the exact same story, what they will do is pull them both down and they'll put it in dispute and they'll say, you know, and they will try and figure out who, who has the legal rights to the IP. So while your book is down, you're losing money. 
So the reason I register the copyright is, and, and this happened to me very early on in the multi-author uh, box set days, is I could, I could just reply to uh, Amazon's email with the PDF of the copyright registration, end of story. So it's not about suing people or it's not necessarily about, about you know, p going into a court of law. For me, it's more, more of a commercial thing where I want to make sure that uh, if there's any dispute in any of the marketplaces that I've got that covered. Well, just just to add on that, the only time you actually legally need the the registration with the copyright office is if you go to court. Um, like they, they'll actually require it before you you know if you file a case like that needs to be part of it. But that that's really the only time. So just to kind of touch on what you just said, I mean it really comes down to proof. You know, so as long as you could prove that you, you prove that you created that book, you know, and, and there's some kind of timestamp somewhere, whether it's a word doc or or something, you know, like those anything like that helps. But um, that's the only time you're you're actually required. And it actually brings up a really funny thing that Dean Koontz had told me one time. Like he said to actually protect his physical manuscripts, he's got a walk-in safe at his house. That's huge. Um, he doesn't keep any of his books in there. He keeps his in his freezer, <laughs> which is where <laughs> apparently he has kept them his entire life from the time he first started writing. Because when he was in a you know tiny little rinky-dink house, that was like the only place that would probably survive a fire. Um, so for superstitious reasons, he still to this day keeps his his current manuscript a copy in well, the freezer. Until now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, now he's probably sorry, Dean. <laughs> better, better move him to that safe. Yeah, I was just gonna like Jay. I'm glad you answered the way you did because I, I think that's kind of what I was hoping you would go into with the copyright and stuff. And um, similar pay, PSA for me, and I, I kind of touched on it a second ago, but I do just want to say it. Like, I, I talked to so many authors who worry about their books being up on pirate websites or like uh, something I have happened to me is I have, I haven't looked in a while, but like for a while I had a lot, most of my audiobooks on YouTube and it was like a robot voice talking to them. And it's just like, I don't waste any time going and fishing that stuff out. Like if someone wants to listen to my audiobook with a terrible robot voice, like on okay, YouTube, <laughs> on YouTube, like good for them. You know, or like, um, or and, and like I mentioned earlier about the pirate like sites. I mean, come on, that the the BitTorrent stuff. Like a, anyone who is on there is, they're never gonna buy your book anyway. The people who are seeking that stuff out. So it's not like you're losing money. So just keep writing and just don't worry about that stuff. Now what JD said is different. Where if someone is taking your work and putting it up on a retailer, that's a totally different thing. But. I honestly, just look at the the, the pirate sites. I, I, I don't consider them any different than giving away free copies of your book to bring in other people. I mean, that's in a lot of ways that's that's all it really is. But you can't stop them. I get those emails all the time. Um, you know, I just I send them on to my editor and and just forget about it because there's it's just there's no way to get in front of it. Let's go to another question um, from Christian, and this one is: Where can you find beta readers? Um, Jay, I know you don't really use beta readers, do you? Cause I, I honestly really don't either. Um, not, not very much. Uh, I mean, if, if I define a beta reader as someone who I'm looking to get feedback from on the story, then I don't use them hardly at all. If you're talking about a beta reader more as like, uh, someone who gets an ARC and who could potentially leave a review, that's a little bit different. Um, the reason I don't do, I don't do beta readers too much is that, um, if you survey 100 beta readers about something, you get 100 different opinions. And it's, it, it may or may not be helpful. Um, you know, if you, if you can tease out a theme, like if there are, you know, 20% or 30% of your beta readers know the same thing, that can be helpful. 
Um, but I think something that's often um, not talked about with beta readers is that if you're doing it right, I think it's a lot of work. Like it, it's, a, it's an investment. You have, to, you have to manage it. You have to manage the experience for them. You have to be very intentional about what you're asking them to look for. Um, it's not just as simple as like, can someone a book and go, hey, do you like it? Because if they say yes, that doesn't help you all that much. Uh, I, I use beta readers pretty extensively, and that's because I, I work from the, the Bible of King, you know, on, on writing where he talks about having, you know, beta readers on every book. Um, I mean, I've got Needful Things sitting behind me, and David Morell sold that to me, and, like, he got it because he was a beta reader back in the day for King. So even at, at the point where he was doing Needful Things, he was still using beta readers, and I know he still does it today. Um, I, I But you're right. You have to be very concise. You have to make sure you've got a group of people that are going to be very honest with you. I, I don't use other writers as beta readers. I prefer to have readers um, as beta readers. I give them a, a two-page document um, of instructions, basically telling them what to look for. Um, and, you know, if one person points out one particular thing, I kind of take it with a grain of salt. If multiple ones kind of flag the same thing, then I, I look at it closer. Um, one of the things where they come in very handy for me is I, I tell them, I, I give everybody a printed paper copy of the manuscript to, to read. Um, I do that on purpose because I tend to get more detailed notes if I do that versus giving them an ebook. Um, I tell them to mark any place where they actually close the book, wherever they decide they can put it down. Like if, if they decide that, you know, if it's time for dinner, I want to know where they're closing that book to go and have dinner. Um, um, if they find themselves skimming in any particular section, I tell them to mark it with a highlighter um, because that obviously means they were bored. Their mind was wandering, and I want to know why. So if multiple people were bored in the same spot, you know, I, I, I try to flag that. And all those things, you know, when, when I get back to editing, I open up all – I do six of them typically. I, I open up all six of them on my desk, um, right surround my MacBook with them, and I just flip from page to page and just look at everybody's notes. And, you know, if there's something worthwhile there, I, I make a change. See, that's what that, – I was, I was going to bring that up because um, – to me, you if, if I don't use beta readers, like I have a very small review team, um, but as far as beta readers, I don't, I just don't really use them. But I, I, I love what you brought up because I'm a big proponent of what Brian, the Brian McDonald quote, where he says like, um, the only thing that matters is where if people get bored or where they put the book down, everything else is just opinion. So like, if I was going to have beta readers. Uh, I, I think I would be the same as you. Those are the only two things I'd want to know. Like, where are you skimming and where are you putting the book down? Yeah, I think, JD, the way you just described it's brilliant. I love that. Yeah. Like, I, that's something I would do. Like, um, what I wouldn't do is put a link up to a book funnel link and put it in a Facebook group and be like, hey, I need beta readers. And, yeah. and then whatever happens, happens. Like, that. I, that I that's not helpful. But the fact that I didn't realize that you get those paper copies back and that you can sit there and go through them. That's a great idea. That's awesome. Yeah. And honestly, I, I learned early on that I have to give everybody a deadline um, or you don't get them back. You know, if you tell everybody you need them back in a week, they'll get them back to you in a week. Um, I, I tend to give everybody a, a month to do that. Um, but yeah, when I, I the first book with Forsaken, I initially just gave out uh, the word doc to, to a couple of different people. And I got, you know, stuff back like it's a great story. I like this. I like that character. But it was, you know, 50,000 foot view you know, summations of the story and, and none of it was helpful, you know, from a development standpoint. So, you know, this is just something that's been kind of honed, you know, through my own process and then talking to other authors that, that do something similar. I just kind of keep adding to that, you know, couple page document that I send to everybody and try and make it, you know, just like anything else, just improve on the beta reading process, just like I do on the writing with each book. All right. So let's jump to this next one from Stephanie Bond. And this is for Jay specifically. Uh, Jay, your short story experiment, do you stockpile concepts or write whatever strikes you when you sit down to write that week's story? Yes, both. Uh, <laughs> yes. I, I do. I stockpile concepts. Sometimes I stockpile stories. Uh, sometimes I'll batch write. I might write three or four short stories in a, in a batch 
not in a sitting, but say like in a in a three or four day time period, and then I'll I'll work on one for that week, and then I'll come back to the others. Uh, recently, with the Vela detour, I went a little serialized, but it, at this point in in the experiment, which is mid August as we record, uh, I'm going back into the standalone short story realm, and uh, yeah, you know, I, I think. Um, Again, it's it's a it's a productivity thing too. Almost uh, in, in that that whole batching idea is really powerful. And if you're writing short stories and you can batch, um, you know, uh, three or four together, the, you know, your 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 head's already in that mindset um, as opposed to trying to carve out the time every week to write the short story. So I, yeah, I kind of do both. Right on. All right, couple more questions here. Um, this one is for me, so I guess I'll read this question for me. This is also from Stephanie. Um, Stephanie asks, Zach, if someone only has half a day of extra time when they attend the Career Author Summit in September, what are a few Nashville must-dos? Um, you have to eat Nashville hot chicken. That would, that would, be, that would be the first thing. Go to Hattie B's. That's the place to go. Um, I, I saw this question early, so I looked this up, but like, if you um, – if, if anyone is at the Ryman that you're interested in seeing, like going to the Ryman, I've been to, I came and name how many concert venues in my life. The Ryman is the best place I have ever seen a concert in my entire life. Jay, did you ever go to a concert there when you lived here? I did. And I was going to say they, um, when I was there, they also did tours. They it's do tours. Doing a tour yeah. Too. Yeah. They, the tours are really cool, but like seeing a show there uh, for anyone who doesn't know what the Ryman is, it's an, it's, it's right in downtown Nashville and it's an old church and it's all these church pews are still in there. That's where you sit. And it is the sound in there is absolutely unbelievable. So, um, so those would be two things. And if you're, you know, this, we're going to be out in Franklin. So the Franklin square is super cool place to hang out. There's a lot of good local restaurants and stuff there. And also if you're into drinking, uh, the, the, it's only maybe an hour from Jack Daniels. So, uh, I don't know if you could do that in half a day, but you know, you can go to the Jack Daniels distillery about an hour away and it's, uh, it's pretty cool. So. I've actually heard that's a really cool tour, whether it's awesome. if you're not a drinker, like there's just a lot yeah. of history there and cool thing to, to see. Yeah. It's really, 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 it's totally worth, worth the ride out there. So, um, all right, let's get one more question here from Chris Wills. Uh, I think this will be a really good JD question. So I'm just going to ask it to you, JD. Um, what do you think improves the chance of a novel being film optioned? Um, ignore author name sales and marketing. Oh man. Well, we were actually talking Put it about in the front stuff. of a book. <laughs> yeah. We were talking about some of this stuff at the beginning before we, we started actually yeah. recording. Um, you know, first of all, you just, you have to get out there and just get in front of people because, you know, I've, I've got a number of books that are, that are under option, you know, some kind of stage of Hollywood hell at this point. Um, and they've all come together in, in different ways there's not a single one there that, that started the same way as another one did. Um, and some of the stories, I mean, if I, you know, they're very particular about what you can talk about, which drives me nuts. Um, so I'm hoping at some point I can talk about some of these things because some of them are, are really crazy. Um, we were just talking about, uh, the FP, uh, SPF podcast, uh, cause they had the guy on there who wrote um the book behind the movie infinite uh infinite infinite infinity no Inf infinite. infinite 
Infinite. That's it. Yeah, my brain's not working today. Infinite. Um, and, and he, you know, it's a self-published book. Uh, I think it was called The Reincarnation Papers. He put a page at the very beginning of the book that, that said, I will give you, I think it was 10% or 15% of whatever I make on this as a film if you can get it done. Um, and he got it done. You know, it, it took like seven to 10 years, which is actually a very normal time frame for this kind of thing. Um, but he would, he managed to pull it together. Um, so if you get a chance, go go back and listen to that ish, that uh, episode of SPF. Um, I'm going to see if I can get him on here just to try and uh, get, get us caught up on that and let us know where, where it's at now. Um, but for the most part, it's all about just getting the right players together. You've got to, you know, you basically have to create a package. So you have to get a, um, a producer that's interested. You have to get a writer that's interested. If you can attach one or two stars to it, that always helps. The, the, the closer you are to some kind of finished product um, that you can bring the studios, the more likely you are to, to get something done. Um, a script goes a long way for towards something like that, unless it's a bad script. Uh, if it's a bad script, then it actually hurts you more than it helps you um, because that's what ends up floating around Hollywood. Not Nobody takes the time to actually read your book. Um, they, they read the synopsis. They'll read a script. If it's floating around, very few people actually read the book. It, it does happen, particularly with the you know when it gets close to something getting done. Um, but yeah, there, it's, there, there's no right way or wrong way. There, there's no one way. It's, it's all over the place. Do you change how you write to, to have something optioned? Is that a, a variable at all in this equation? I want, can, let me ask something similar to that too. Let me, cause I was going to ask like th- that, but also like, do you, would you consider even thinking about it? Like going into a book, for instance, like, you know, um, thinking about things like how small your cast is, what the location is, like how many effects are there going to be like things like, like that kind of, kind of along similar lines. I, I honestly try not to. And with my first couple of books, that was the furthest thing from my mind. But like yeah. when Patterson and I wrote The Noise, uh, E1 optioned that like while we were writing it. Um, so they were, they were reading the pages as we were putting them together. They were going <laughs> from, from our computers to a, you know somebody gave a quick editing pass and it went straight to them. Um, and they were weighing in on all those things. And that kind of, you know, their feedback helped shape you know, where the story itself went. Um, I currently made it, you know, I made a change recently in my, my film and TV agent. Um, I, I you know, let go of the one that I had and I got a new one. Um, and this new one wants to be involved. He wants to read these, these books, you know, basically as a beta reader, um, to try and get a better feel for them. And, and, you know, I'm guessing make some of those changes or suggestions, um, you know, you, whatever it might be. Um, Location-wise, you don't really have a whole lot of say in that. I mean, even with Fourth Monkey, like the books are all set in Chicago, but you know, the bulk of the talk has been around filming in Pittsburgh. Um, and, mm-hmm. and it has nothing to do with me actually being, you know, having lived in Pittsburgh. It's because they're, you know, the tax credits and the locations, like everything is geared towards that. It's a very film-friendly location or city. Um, tons of this stuff gets filmed in Canada for the same reasons. Um, New York is notoriously expensive to film. Um, but they can fake it really well in other places. You know, a couple establishing shots and, and they're done. You know, everything else can be something else. So um, for the most part, though, as, as an author, I, w- I would just write the book, you know, tell the best story you possibly can and, and let these things kind of kind of fall into fall into place. I, I wouldn't let those types of things, you know, weigh in too much. Nice. Right on. All right. Well, that's all our questions for this month. So, uh, Jay, why don't you take us on out? Yeah. Uh, well, let me uh, let me tee up our guests for next week yeah. first. Uh, who do we got coming on there, JD? We it's kind of a living legend. We've got Joyce Carol Oates. Um, she's got a new short story collection out called uh, Night Neon, um, which is really good. I think it's been out for about a month or so now. Um, fantastic book, um, and just somebody that's been working in the industry for a really long time, and is just you know really really creative, and it's just full of knowledge. Um, she's she's going to be good a good person to talk to for sure. Yeah, she's a master. I'm looking forward to that conversation. Absolutely. 
All right. To our listeners, make sure you go to writersincpodcast.com and grab the free revision masterclass where you can see the storytelling process from beginning to end. We'll see you next episode and have a great week of writing. Thanks for listening to this episode of Writers Inc. Access the show notes and leave a comment at writersincpodcast.com.